I, um, I want us to learn, uh, honestly, from a life that is so celebrated, but could have actually uh, probably gone a whole lot better had just one simple decision been made in David's life. So if you have your Bible, turn with me, uh, please. Uh, we're going to look in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to begin with verse number 1. If you would, let's stand together as we read from God's Word. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. Now remember, the first king anointed was anointed for who? The people. They wanted a king. And God is saying, you're going to anoint for me this time. This will be done. This is who I will choose. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town uh, trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking, and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Father, we ask today that you give us wisdom as we look into the life of David. That, Father, we will learn that hard lesson that David had to learn. And that we will learn it before it's too late. Lord God, touch our ears that we might hear. Touch our hearts that we might be attentive to your word. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the start off to David's life was good. We see that David was anointed here, and the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon David. 
from that day forward. And so much so that Samuel went out with peace. He arose and left. He, he, was, he knew that he had done what God had called him to do. And as we look at David, David was the one that was kind of left out. He was the one that was forgotten about. Who would have ever expected the youngest of the children, of the boys, to be the one that would be named king? But yet we see that, that this is who God had chosen for himself. Not for the people, but for himself. And at a, as a young man, it was mentioned about David that he was a man after God's own heart. Remember, God doesn't look at the appearance. He looks at what? He looks at the heart of the man. He looks at the heart of the person. And so he saw within David a heart that loved him, a heart that would serve his people well. And we know here that David is a young man. He, he doesn't have a lot of age on him. So he's someone stepping into a position here that he wasn't quite ready for. And God didn't put him directly into that service, but he put him there for training. He put him there so that he could make him ready. And we recognize the faith of, the faith of David whenever it's time to fight a particular foe. Who am I talking about? Who do we know that David battled with just a slingshot? Really, it was a sling, not quite a slingshot. <laughs> we think of that like this. That young man would have been a, a great, great man, a great man of battle with that sling that he had. He would have learned to throw it as just a young child and would have been very deadly with the aim. And we know this to be true as we hear the story of, of David and Goliath. We find it in 1 Samuel chapter. Uh, 17. Now, we're not going to read all of this. We're going to hit bits and pieces of this with David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. But first, let me just share this. Now, the Philistines gathered here in verse 1, their armies together to battle. And were gathered there at Sokoth, and, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokoth and Azekah and Ephesimim and Saul. And the men of Israel were gathered together. And they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. I don't know if you've ever been anywhere where the mountains are, are really pretty, really beautiful. Um, some of you have been to the Texas Hill Country. That's, that's pretty and I love the Texas Hill Country. But if you've ever been to the mountains, to Colorado, to those types of places, you know how beautiful this is. I've never been to Israel. Some of you have been to Israel. You know what it looks like there. And, and I don't imagine it's quite 14,000 feet where they're standing on each side because they wouldn't have been able to see each other. But they're, they're there. They can see one another. They're, they're on these mountains, and they're yelling at one another, it's time to battle. And there's this valley in between. And, and so what we see is the two groups trying to show their strength. One group is against God, and one group is supposed to be with God, but they have forgotten who they're with. How do we know this? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 3 says, The Philistines stood on a mountain one, on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of, of of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze and he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel 
and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The Philistines, no faith in God, no trust in God, no understanding of who God was. Here is Israel, the people of God. They have a king who should be pointing the people to the, to the fact that they belong to God. And yet the Bible says that they're trembling, they're scared. This king has been disqualified because of actions that he has done. And here we have God saying, it's time for my future king to stand up. We know that David was still just a young man. He was still a keeper of the sheep. But he comes to help his brothers. His, his father sends him out to, to bring some food to his brothers and to check on them in the battle so that he can bring back a report as to how things are. And David shows up on the battleground. He shows up there with the armies of God's people, and he hears this battle cry. He hears what's going on. And he has some questions for the people. He wants to know what's really happening, what is happening. David heard them. In verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled uh, from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give from him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Man, would some of you not be looking to be that fellow? Right? David spoke to the men who stood up, who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? He's saying, Listen, you people are looking at this the wrong way. This man defies God's people. He's a reproach to us, he's a reproach to God. What's to be done? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? A little boy, a young man, maybe a teenager, has come and asked the question, who stands against God? Young David with great faith. Young David with great faith, unwilling to waver, unwilling to, to step aside. He's asking, who will step up? Who will lead? Who will trust in God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. David's looking for someone to step up. You consider me to just be a, a young child, one not worthy to be on the battlefield? Then one of you step up. One of you stand up. 
and no one would. Verse 31 says, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Do you see the faith of this young man? We're talking about a huge difference in size. I would, I would kind of liken it to perhaps if, if, if Garrison decided, little Garrison, stand up, little Garrison, in your chair so everybody can see how short you are. I mean, how big you are. Stand up, buddy. All right, now have your dad stand up real quick. All right, you see that? Now, now hop down the floor, Garrison. That would probably be pretty close to what we're talking about maybe. And little Garrison is going to come to say, I'm going to go and whip this big man right here. I'm going to go and take care. And so, so the king, or the, or he hears this. Saul hears about it. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine and to fight with him. For you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. Can I tell you what everybody's doing here? They're all finding excuses not to have to battle this Philistine. They have forgotten whose they are. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. I don't know about you, but this is a man, right? This is a man. Some of y'all are afraid of these little bitty pigs that are in the woods, <laughs> right? We all know the three little pigs, and we know the story. That's all they are, little pigs. He goes out, and, and, and he catches these things by the beard and strikes them and kills them. He says, your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised, that's an important word. He is saying, this man who doesn't follow God, this man whose faith is not in God, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Can I tell you what David's doing? David's going, what has happened to you people? What in the world is going on with my people, with God's chosen? In verse 37, it says, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Do you see the faith that David had? The strength that David had. The lack of fear because faith overcomes fear. Now, let me tell you what happens next. We won't read about it, I'll tell you. Saul, Saul's willing to try anything. At anything but going by himself. He doesn't want to do it. And so... He says to David, David, listen, so that I'll feel better about things, let me give you my armor. Y'all remember, Saul's way older and way bigger than David. David puts on Saul's armor and he immediately realizes what? This does not fit. This is going to hinder me from being agile and I won't be able to do the things I need to do. No, no, no. I don't need this cumbersome stuff. You keep it.
Verse 40, it speaks of David. It says, and he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag. And a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, I don't know about you, but I imagine that all the other Israelites, including David's brothers, have gathered to the edge. They're watching what's happening and going, this isn't going to be good for David. I can imagine his brothers getting together going, how are we going to tell dad about this? Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give you the, carcass, I will give you, uh, the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. We need young men to stand up in this world that we live in today because it is wicked. And we need young men who are willing to stand up in the face of this wickedness and declare that God is still on his throne and that Jesus is still enough. Then all of this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and stuck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. What did David say? Just as God took care of the lion, just as God took care of the bear, God will take care of the man. If you keep reading, you find out that David goes with the celebration behind him. (laughs) Israel erupts. They're excited. They're shocked, I'm sure. They pursue the Philistines, and David doesn't get caught up in the moment. Instead, he goes and takes the sword, the very sword that Goliath was going to use to cut him into pieces. And he takes that big sword, and he cuts the head of Goliath off. And he picks up the head and the sword, just as he told Goliath he would. And verse 54 says, And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem put his armor in his tent. Man, we're sitting here going, if I could just be like David, if I could just have the faith of this young man, if I, if I could just, just do it. And some of you in this room, you've had that faith. You've, you've been there. You have been strong in the face of battle. You've been strong in the face of opposition. You have stood your ground. You have let people know of the love of God. You have not wavered in your faith. 
And then that one day, something happened. And the life lesson that we can learn from David is found in a story that we all know very well. David, Bathsheba, and Uriah. We see the great young man God anoints as king. We see him face Goliath. We see the great victory that he has at that very moment. Then there's some hardships between there and the time that he takes the throne. Uh, Saul tries to kill him. A lot of stuff is happening, and he survives all of this. Saul is finally killed. David takes the throne. We're, we're there, and he's being king. He's doing things, and, and, and I imagine that he's probably tired. He, he probably thinks, you know, I need, I deserve a moment to just forget about being king. I deserve a moment to just be me and not worry about what the king does, not worry about anything else. I, I, I'm, I'm tired. It's time to rest. And so we find in 2 Samuel 11, the opening, the opening words are key to the entire story. It says, it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle. So where is David supposed to be at this moment? He's supposed to be in battle. But instead, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. He's king. He deserves a break. He's had some rough times. He's been talked about. He's been probably hurt a little bit with words from others. Uh, he didn't get all the praise that was due to him as king. And I, You know, I'm, I'm exhausted. It's time for me to just have a break. Today, I'm, I'm just not going to worry about my kingly duties. I just want to be a normal, regular person. Let's talk about Christianity for a moment. Do we get to take a break in our Christianity? Do we get to wake up one day and say, you know, today I just want to be a regular person. I don't really want to be a Christian today. I just want to be like everybody else. I, I don't want to have to worry about my witness. I don't want to have to worry about my appearance. I don't want to have to worry about my, my language. I, I just want to be a regular person. And what happens when we become a person who just simply decides I no longer have to be who God called me to be because I'm tired. We open up ourselves to things we never knew we were going to be open to. David stays behind, sends the people to battle, and he goes up on top of the palace to just simply catch some air. I just want a nice breath. What does it smell like? When everything's silent. And off on a distant rooftop, he sees a woman bathing. The moment that he sees her, that moment he should have quickly turned his eye. But like a lot of Christians, something caught it and he didn't turn. Instead, he stayed focused upon what he shouldn't be looking at. Now he's fixated upon what he should not be looking at. 
And when that's not satisfying enough, he then calls her to his home. Brings her into his home. The Bible says they committed sin together. Now, Bathsheba's husband is Uriah. Where is Uriah? Anybody know? Uriah is in battle. Uriah is out fighting for the king and the people of God. Some time goes by and Bathsheba sends word to David that she is with child. So David thinks, man, i got to get Uriah back here so we can trick him and make him think that this is his child. He'll be back in battle. He won't know the dates. So he sends Uriah. He sends for Uriah to come back. And Uriah's like, I can't go to my home when my brothers are in battle. I can't do it. So he refuses to go home. Now David doesn't know what to do. So David thinks, well, you know, if I celebrate with him, get him a little intoxicated, do something, I can, I'll get him to his house. He still refused. So now David can't cover up that sin. So David says, well, I can fix this. I can fix this. I I know how to make this work. In verse 14, 2 Samuel 11. We read this. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of who? Uriah. Uriah was carrying his own what? Death sentence with him in his hand. He didn't know it. He was more faithful than the king. He refused to open it. Had he just peeked at the letter? But he was more faithful than the king. And he wrote in the letter saying, set, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. And Joab sent and told David all things Concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling the matter of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall that he died? Tell him then that your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. No matter how messed up things get, no matter how angry he gets, no matter how mad he gets, he'll soothe over as soon as he finds out that I did what he told me to do. And so the messenger went and told David everything that Joab had said. Verse 26 says, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, and she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. 
But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Folks, David had such a good start in life. He was living the life that God had called him to. He was a man after his own heart. And that one moment that he decided, I just don't have to be king today. For us, I just don't have to be Christians today. For us, I just don't have to be a wife today. I just don't have to be a husband today. I just don't have to be a child today. That one moment that we have decided in our life, I don't have to be who God called me to be, that one moment sends us off the edge into a deep, deep sin. David started out so good and so strong. In one moment, one moment, it changed everything. Chapter 12, the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan looked at him and he said, what? You are that man. And he goes on to tell David exactly what he had done. David and Uriah, David and Bathsheba lose that first child. David's sin brought more sin upon his home. David started out strong. Things were going well. And he decided one moment, I'm done being this guy. Just for a day. Just for a season. And everything falls apart. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. We're in that season where literally we have made some really bad choices in life. We have done some things that are nothing like who we say we are. What do I do? You pray for the Holy Spirit to confront you. You pray for a friend to confront you. You pray for someone to get in your face and say, we recognize this. And pray that it will lead you. To a prayer of repentance. Psalm 51 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you 
judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Created me a clean heart. Remember what David was when he was a young man? A man after God's own heart. What is David now? He's a man with a filthy heart. And what is he asking God to do? Cleanse me. Clean my heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Some of you, listen to me. I I know what it's like to literally be running from God and not recognize it. And if you're not careful, you become so used to living in sin that it no longer bothers you. He asked God to return the joy of God's salvation to him. Folks, there are a lot of people in this world today who simply pray a prayer, and they think that's all it is. I'm telling you, every single day, every single day is a battle. And every day you must choose to get up and say, I belong to Christ and live according to that because if you decide well eh, it's no big deal I can take a break for a while guess what's going to happen it's all going to fall apart Father we ask today for wisdom God, we ask today that you can take and change the stubbornness of our heart. God, that you can take and do within us what we cannot do within ourselves. Just as David, Lord, we are broken people. Too stubborn to understand that we're in sin. Too stubborn to understand that we're running. when we can't even pay attention to church, when we can't pay attention to the Spirit of God, when we can't pay attention in Bible study, God, we're, we're struggling. And God, we confess that to you. We confess that we are running. God, I, I don't want to run anymore. Lord, I'm asking you for those that are broken in this church. Touch their heart today and let them be restored. Let them recognize where they have fallen. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name.